Well, guys, new year, new us. Welcome back to the Long Ash podcast. Uh, sadly, Santa didn't just leave gifts for Secret Chris. Secret Chris actually came down with a little bit of an illness, so he is home resting and recuperating. Um, we hope to have him back here as soon as possible. But in the meantime, we have a very, very special guest joining us today. You might know him. He's been mentioned a lot recently on our show as Big Jim. We're actually going to call him Big Big Jim C. Is that what you uh, wanted? I, I mean, the, the people know me as Jim C. All right, so we're going to call him Big Jim. We're going to we're going to merge the old and the new. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but the uh, cigar legend, <laughs> formerly of other retailers, <laughs> don't want to mention names, yeah, right? And, okay. and, oh, we, yeah, and other retailers and other. You know, he's he's been in the industry as, as long as I have, very well respected, and he is now the head of the JR Cigar procurement team, which is which is my team. So he's my new boss. After 10 years, I have a new boss. Yeah. So please join us in welcoming Jim Charnley to the well, show. Did I nail that name? You did. That's impressive. It. Thank I you, Nick. It. I appreciate I being here. So, Jim, how are you uh, How are you liking JR, man? It's great. Um, you know, it's a great team. We have uh, uh, really trying to make some differences in the industry, trying to do things a little bit different. Having been in the the B two C space for a long time, went over to the the B two B space, the wholesale space for a year and a half, two years. You know, when when I got the the outreach call and they mm. said, "Hey, we've got this kind of role we're thinking of for you. What do you think?" You know, one of my responses was, "I don't want to do things the same way we've always done it." You know, I appreciate the historical context of this industry. I appreciate the fact that, you know, we have a, a legacy product that has you know, hundreds of years of history behind it. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, when I go back to my, my life in sales prior to the cigar industry, and I would tell the sales team uh, every chance I got, if you're not changing things every year, you're, you're, you're falling behind. Right. Um, and so I think we have an opportunity here, um, especially with Brad coming on board and kind of new expectations from, from Tobacco Lera, to, to really do things a little bit differently, to, uh, you know, restore cigars to something that is sought after and loved and not this, uh, you know, uh, Ollie's bottom basement kind of yeah. cigar thing that, that people got caught up with during the, the COVID boom. I mean, I think, uh, and unfortunately, JR's past, especially in the 90s, you know, really kind of set this online retailer tone of what what yeah. brad calls like this race to the bottom yeah and oddly enough i feel like jr has always been a trendsetter and <laughs> that we did that other companies that ended up doing it maybe better than we did but now we're trying to you know reset that and it doesn't mean that all of a sudden every cigar is going to be 35 dollars and there's sure. not going to be promotions and everything but you know it's it, it's it's like you know the beer industry or or I know you're a big bourbon fan, but you know these are handmade items. And there's one thing about you know honoring you know time honored traditions, but even the most traditional cigar manufacturer doesn't still do things the exact same way they did in in 1890, or else you're gonna you're gonna fall behind. Like yeah. they, you know, we're not working with any of the same seed varietals back yeah. there. You know I I, I think. Um, you go down to Nicaragua and you look at what a number of people down there are doing, you know, Nestor and, and the Placencia family kind of was the forefront of this, but bringing in irrigation systems that were drip to the roots of the plants mm. when they're growing shade tobacco and, you know, are specifically, uh, include a mix of nutrients and stuff direct to the roots right. rather than spraying everything. You know, they, they have their, uh, very organic farm, uh, and, and the tobacco they grow with, um, sunflowers all around the tobacco plants because there's a, a, a wasp, a bee that lives in Nicaragua that naturally attacks the, uh, bugs that like tobacco plants. So rather than spraying them that. with pesticides, they go out and they plant these and, you know, that wasn't the way Nestor's dad was taught. Right. And it wasn't the way it came over from Cuba, but they decided they wanted to try some things to kind of modernize the growing techniques. Well, they didn't, they had that first, like, I don't know, I don't want to say fully organic, but wasn't there a Placencia that came out that was like the... It was Placencia Organica, okay, um, yeah. uh, which was an international exclusive for a while. It was a, a private label or an exclusive in the United States 
uh, with the one of my former companies. Yeah. Um, and they they had to change the name because in Europe you couldn't use the word organic without going through all sorts of things. Yeah. But they do it in a way that is you know very uh, true to the organic nature when they grow that. Um, grow that tobacco. But you, know, you look at everybody, people are trying new blends despite, you know, some of the stuff that happened in 2016 with the FDA and trying to put right. a kibosh and all that. We've got the, the deeming regulation was, was kind of tossed aside by, by judge Meta. And so there's a lot of new varieties of tobacco being grown. You know, we've got, um, uh, Connecticut broadleaf being grown in, in Esteli now in and, Nicaragua and in Honduras and in Honduras, we've got shade Connecticut shade being grown, um, you know, not just in Ecuador, but now up in Nicaragua. And as, as an industry, we look for a place, uh, and ways to replace the tobacco that got damaged in Ecuador due to all the, the storms. I was, I was just reading an article about what's going to happen in 2024 because Ecuador had some really bad weather. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think Nicaragua, I mean, Connecticut just isn't going to be able to sustain the amount of, of wrapper that's going to be needed. I mean, they have trouble maintaining their own numbers currently, but maybe yeah. Nicaragua, like. Well, I think if you look at, look at the, the, the way different factories process tobacco, mm -hmm. right? Some people have enough reserves that a one-year blip in a wrapper or one-year blip in a filler um, isn't going to make a difference right. to them, right? Um, you know, there through this boom, there's been a, a huge mad rush on Nicaraguan filler. Mm. And there are companies that have struggled and there are companies that had enough capital built up in that tobacco reserves to, to sustain it. I do think when you talk about wrappers, for most companies, you're talking about, a, you know, a two, three plus year aging process on them. So, you know, when we look at trying to get Connecticut to pick up the slack or we try to get you know, Honduras or Nicaragua or the Dominican to pick up the slack. You're talking about planting now or planting in the next cycle for two or three years, years from, from now. now. Right. And so it's hard to know exactly what to plant and what not to plant. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's some people who are looking at other places in Central America to grow, other places in the Caribbean to grow. You know, traditionally, a lot of what we use in cigars comes from Nicaragua, Honduras, and and the Dominican Republic, some from Costa Rica, a little bit from Puerto Mexico. Rica. Yeah, there's San Andreas, absolutely. Um, but but where else does tobacco grow? Where else can we grow crops that maybe don't have the bugs or the right. you know Connecticut? You've got blue mold issues if there's too much rain, and this year we had way too many storms in the summer, yeah. to, and so you know there's always that kind of give or take trying to make a cigar that tastes the same every time a consumer picks it up, regardless of what crop is in it. Why did you never go work for a manufacturer? You you certainly have the cigar know-how. You're not just a guy who knows brands and ratings. Like, you're a guy who, who you know, what, like what I try to be. He's like, you understand the science of it. You understand the hurdles of the, and the logistics of the manufacturing process. Yeah. Was that ever an interest to you, going to work, you know? If they had offered you, I mean, I obviously have a family, but like factory manager for some big company, like was any any of that ever would that would that have interested you? You know, I, I think I get some of that in in any of the organizations I've been in in my tenure in this industry, um, in the kind of very hands on approach I've taken to creating exclusives and private labels, yeah. and you know, it's not just sitting up here in New Jersey or Pennsylvania or California or wherever else and saying send me samples. It's going down to the factory, looking at tobacco, sitting with people like Nestor or AJ or, you know, um, each of the each of the factories kind of blending team or master blenders. I get to do that without having to give up the fact that I like to be home and right. I like to spend time with my family. Um, and you get to do it with multiple. Factors. Yeah, and I get to do it. I think that's a great point. I, I also think, you know, my background, I came out of Lafayette with an economics and business degree. Mm. I like... I like finding ways to market products and sell products and build brands. And I think you have a better opportunity to do that at some place like JR, Tobacalera, where we have, you know, multiple websites with different personalities. We've got CDM, we've got wholesale, we've got kind of all these different pieces. And so you can do different things. Right. We can create bundles for JR or something higher end for cigars.com, something that, you know, has a really, you know, gorgeous packaging and stuff for CDM, but you get to play with different things. And it's, um, it's kind of like, I don't drink just one kind of whiskey right. or bourbon. I, I like, 
Oh, I've, I've seen what you got. You drink a lot. You drink a lot of different kinds. <laughs> well, I do. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you look on Instagram, you'll see there's, there's different bottles all the time. But I like finding things that are unique and interesting. And so I think being at a factory, while some people love it, for me, it, it kind of holds me into a smaller place to play. Well, if you, I think that's a great point. I mean, I've, I've, like you, I'm sure, have been approached mostly in my youth by like different you know, different manufacturers to come work, you know, sales rep or social media back when I was running our social media. But it was always like, hey, it's just very singular. Like, I love your brand, but I also love these 15 other right. brands and I like <laughs> to work with them. But if you look at kind of the modern day manufacturer, maybe not, you know, manufacturer in the sense of having a facility, but somebody like Nick or John or Steve, they kind of have built this love of many different facets into their their companies like yeah. you can kind of tell like general brands like these heritage ones maybe you know diesel be, you know being an exception but like foundation or crown heads all of their lines are kind of hitting different points both creatively blend wise packaging wise size wise they try not they they, they like having that that variety and i think it's because yeah. They grew up like we did. When I say grew up, I mean within the industry. Yeah. Liking all these different brands. And it's like, how can I encompass my favorite parts of like Romeos or Cohibas sure. or, or this or that? So I think that's why we're seeing so much versatility and variety. And they, they go to different factories yeah. based on which factories are best at that that flavor profile, that strength that they're looking for. Um, you know, I think... You know, those are three great examples. I, when you talk about your youth and kind of starting in this industry, I think we all at some point uh, as as uh, connoisseurs or we think in our own mind as connoisseurs yeah. of tobacco and cigars, um, we all go, well, maybe I could just be an independent rep. And yeah. then you start thinking about at least my kid, you know, thinking about, you know, family and, you know, responsibility and all yeah. this other stuff. Oh, it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of nights away. It's a lot of. But, you know, before I, I, I joined the industry 10 years ago, I had seriously considered working for one of the manufacturers we, one of the brand owners, not manufacturers, but we sell cigars for today. And um, it just wasn't the right place in my life. You know, I think probably. Can you tell me offline who it was? I'll tell you offline. Right. I'll tell you offline. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, you know, I, I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity within within this industry for different people to get to do different things. Yeah. You know, I, when I, when I go to family functions or, you know, I spent the holidays up in, in, in New Hampshire with my family, you know, and people go, Oh, well, what do you do? And I always joke and I say, oh, I just sell cigars for a living. And that's, <laughs> that's, you know, not that, you know, we're, we're working for a big e-commerce company. We have wholesale, we're brand See, developers. I'm, I'm back in the dating world, so I have to make it sound. I'm like, oh, I work in product development. Yeah. <laughs> I have to, you gotta make it sound really cool. I, I have to make it sound really, really cool. I used to, I used to say, uh, Marketing and content creation, and now I say, oh no, I work in marketing and product development for a major e-commerce well, content creation. I guess we can both say that. Now, yeah, right? exactly. So here we go. Oh yeah, you're you're My part of the you're, yeah, you're in the but, fold now. Um, we want to have you like a regular, you know, like um, you know, as we kind of expand and and Chris is in agreement, like we want to have more like, you know, roundtable like cigar discussions. You know, we used to do like a big roundtable every year where I would get like John, Pete, uh, sure. you know, Bradley, Rubin, you know, these guys together and just like kind of talk about the industry. Well, it's interesting because I spend, you know, a lot of my relationships that, that I have in the industry are based around that. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people I talk to, you know, maybe once a month, once, once a quarter, you know, a couple hours just hanging out on, you know, now on Zoom or Teams. Yeah. But, you know, back in the day when I traveled more um, in person and, and really just talk about the industry, right? Because I think it's important to know what everybody else is doing. It's important to know what the industry is doing because um, it does influence everything we're trying to do. Exactly. You know, I know my, my ears burn a lot right now as we've spent the last couple of months, you know, Sasha, Brad and I and Sherry going around to some of our top vendors and kind of telling them the differences that we're going to be implementing some some that are already in, but you know, the changes we're making, the way we're looking at the industry differently, the way we're, you know, really trying to, to build environments for people where they, they appreciate it. Some people have looked at us and gone, that's crazy. And some people have looked at us and go, God, I wish somebody had done that 20 years ago. And so I think, you know, new is, can be exciting. It can be uh, scary. It can yeah. be challenging. Um, but but you do have to try that new and you do have to look at different ways of doing things. And so, you know, I think 
you've experienced it in, in a lot of what we're doing in brand development, right? We're looking to do things a little bit differently than just how JR has done it in the past. We're not looking to just take cigars, throw some name on it and go to market. We're trying to build brands that have sustainability, that have, um, you know, stories behind it, build the brand and then blend the cigar to the, the brand, which I think is what Steve does. And a lot of what John Mm -hmm. does. I mean, John goes out and says, you know, I always remember that four kick story, right? He called Ernesto and started describing a, a piece of music. Yeah, it was um, it was from Kings of Leon. Yeah, I, be- I believe uh, you are correct. Trying to explain Kings of Leon to Ernesto. Ernesto. On the phone. <laughs> Come on, you know those guys. They're like cousins or something. They That's sing right. rock songs. But uh, you know, I want a cigar that tastes like a drumbeat. Yeah, you know, and and that's that's having a brand, a uh, concept, and then finding the right cigar and the right manufacturer and the right you know person ernie does epc does a very um unique thing in that uh he he kind of reprocesses every piece of tobacco he buys and he doesn't grow his own tobacco so he buys from people like nestor or aj or any of these brokers will leave a tobacco company and some of that others he gets it in and when you walk into his factory he has a whole pre-industry and you know the first time i went down to visit him in santiago i said wait you're buying all of this already go- it's already gone through pre-industry they've right. done the work for you and he goes yeah but it's not mine right and he's so putting his signature you yeah know, he's doing it. it his way and i think there are a number of people in the industry that have gone to that you know, everybody has their little tricks their little exactly. secrets uh but john said this is the guy i want to make cigars with we were talking if, before that we started recording here about this la verade Right. And, you know, the, the, the Cohiba-esque of it, that Cuban Cohiba, you know, where John wanted to go with the box, very luxury product. And it is different than everything else Crown Heads has come out with. So that's, we, we discussed earlier, and, I, and we just filmed um, people, I think it'll, it'll come out before this, uh, this podcast, are like top five manufacturers for, you know, of 2023. And Crown Heads was one of them. And it's not, you know, a lot of companies did it because they, you know, like STG had like some kind of groundbreaking, you know, like many releases through Punch, through Diesel, through Crown Heads. Obviously they have their limiteds that they come out with every year. They have Las Calaveras, but really they were on that list because of the, the La Vareda and how, how different it was in the doors that this opens. Because listen, you, this was a, a risk, Sure. You know, very different direction. I mean, even when you look at, you know, I know that John has gotten to, you know, putting the 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 gold crown heads like foot band on. Even the foot band is vastly different. Oh, yeah. And a yeah. much higher price point. And because it succeeded, like I said, and I think John would agree, this is not a direction. He's not all of a sudden going to be releasing five of these things <laughs> a year. Uh, but it opens up that possibility of in two or three years, like, hey, let's do something else in that ballpark. And it just, it makes everything more interesting now your point like even the thickness of the paper yeah. on the bands is different right it's that the gold one that's on the the uh kind of seasonal releases the lost cow yeah the, um that's a it's a different paper style this is a thicker matte finish it, it's a you know it's elevating the product and i appreciate that when it, when somebody is when they're when they're charging a lot for a cigar and i know that there's some people who are like you know, it's such a good cigar that we don't need to put a, a band on it and it's worth the $20. But sure. when someone's like, listen, they're paying $20 a cigar. So on a box of 20, that's what, 400 bucks. Right. For a crown heads, which is not usually in their in their realm of, of pricing, John was like, we have to make every mm-hmm. single, obviously the blend first, but they had the blend first. Like they knew right. it was worth it. But from the lacquer on the box to the design to the feel, like you know, to the to the weight of the of the paper stock to the interior, like to the the leaflet inside, like everything had to be done to like an immense detail. Yeah, to a and standard. I, yeah, that, to a standard, and I and I appreciate that. Well, and it's something that you know we we've looked at, especially when you look at Terra de Andres and you know our Origin series. You know, the box is very different. It's not your typical box. It's, you know, we're celebrating different regions where tobacco comes from. And the box is, you know, done in a way that it's 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 uh, supporting the environment. We're not cutting down trees yeah. for it. We're not, you know, putting a bunch of chemicals in it. We're, and, and it's, a, yeah, they're more expensive cigars, but they're done that way because the blend deserves it. And the, Honestly, the cigar I, deserves I it. Honestly, I still think for how good, Grand Volcano and Terra de Andes are we're, we're undercharging. I'm sure. I, I still think that. I mean, as I stated here the other week, guys, 
Grand Volcano, 92 rated, and Terra de Andes, 94 rated. For, I mean, listen, in, in this industry today, I mean, you know, we're, me and you are kind of, you know, in this process of, of building our future in terms of exclusives and brand. Yeah. How many times have we been sitting around and we're like, like how we mentioned a $7 cigar? Not a lot. No. It's just not, it's unfortunately, it's not really, th- that's a very budget cigar these days. And it's funny because if you go back pre-COVID, right, you go mm-hmm. back to 2019, budget cigars were 2 $3.00. The average cigar selling price was somewhere in the six, seven dollar yeah. range, and nobody would have considered coming out with a twelve dollar cigar. And so, yeah, you had the boom economy that came through, but you also have a lot of, you know, I, I don't necessarily think our consumers and we don't do a great job of telling them, but know kind of what's happening at, in these different countries. Yeah, right. So you've got Nicaragua, and they've gone through, and they, you know, early in COVID, applied a new thirty percent tax to everything, mm-hmm. to the seed to the, the fertilizer, to the boxes, to the, you've got Honduras and Nicaragua that are consistently putting on freezes to cutting down timber to make boxes. Right. And so these things do, unfortunately, um, increase the cost of cigars. You know, obviously taxes are a big part of that. You know, we have excise tax, we have FET, we've got state excise taxes now, you know, a lot of things that go into the end cost that goes to the consumer. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to know that we do our best to try to make a great product for a great price. Right. And I think even as we look at some of these other brands, you know, that's important to us. Um, we want to make sure that, you know, JR Alternatives stay a, a great opportunity for those people who love cigars, but, you know, can't afford a $20 right. cigar well, or don't want to. Don't exactly. think that's a, an option for them. But I think that's something that, that I, I really enjoyed about working with, with you on this. It's, you know, obviously I've, I've, you know, I worked for, for Sasha in marketing before, but in terms of this aspect of my job, I was kind of just lost in space on my own sure. trying to figure it out. But understanding that like you can release a $20 cigar, you can release a $6 cigar and they can both be successful as long as they each have a goal. Like you can't just say, oh, it's going to be called Nick's cigars and you're going to call it $9. Yeah. Like there's, there's room for all of these and you know, we're working on something. I've, I've been hinting to it on the show, but coming out in, in, in March, April, yeah. that's probably one of the more expensive private labels we've ever sure. released. And from the blend to the packaging to some other items going it's, in with it. It's really cool. It's, I um, mean, it's so um, cool. I, and I appreciated how you and Brad, like you had your little tweaks, but you, I, I felt a sigh of relief that you guys were on board for it when you yeah. guys started. Cause that was like kind of my baby that I'm I was sure it's always nervous, especially when two new people come into yeah. organization. Also, and- you got to remember, I mean, we have a great team, uh, you know, Brendan and, and Andy and Bobby and those guys are really knowledgeable, but like, I had felt like I was the only cigar, like really nerdy about it yeah, yeah. for a while. And then you and Brad come in and like just blow me out of the water. No, I think <laughs> which is good. I need to learn. I had reached a level of like cigar industry knowledge and cigar yeah. industry know-how that I needed to the next level of experience. And it's like, listen, you're going to come with us. You're going to talk to these guys. You're going to sure. understand more of the process. Sure. But um, but yeah, I was when you guys like liked the overall theme. I was like, oh, thank God. Well, I'm really excited about it. And then some of the really unique accessories that are coming out with it and. You know, again, I think, you know, it was a, a shock to the organization. And I noticed some of our customers when I got here and wiped out half the private label portfolio, um, you know, six weeks in, kill, you know, literally, you know, 94 brands. Yeah. Um, but, but they were brands that over the time had lost the attention of the consumers. They'd launched the, lost the attention of the company and they weren't doing anything. And so, you know, when, when you when you do that, it opens up the opportunity to create with a new purpose. And you've said it a couple of times in here. I think it's important that, you know, all of this stuff we're working on, whether it's, you know, changes coming to websites, whether it's what goes on each of our websites, uh, whether it's, you know, working more closely with CDM, all of that comes with purpose. Right. And um, sometimes that purpose is hard to see. Uh, certainly as a consumer, you're not in any of these meetings, even within an organization, you know, none of these things are done in a vacuum. We all sit around and we say we have an idea and then we all, 
you know, have, uh, I would say argue, but other people would probably say, you know, strategic conversations yeah. around, around that. But, but it's important that as an organization, we get multiple opinions to, to kind of figure out what we're doing going forward. Yeah. You definitely need consumer input. It's one of those like kind of balancing acts because, you know, I, I've put surveys in the field before, you know, when we were kind of redoing Cigar of the Month and it's like, sure. what do you guys want to see? Of course, number one thing is like cheaper. We want it cheaper. Right. We want, I'll give us, we sh if we join, we should get discount codes. And it's, and at yeah. that time, you know, a year ago, as you know, like we were giving away the farm already. <laughs> like, it's like, we can't really everything on do, sale all the time. Yeah, we can't really do much more guys. But, um, no, it's, it's, I, I like the communicating with the consumer Sometimes you you know what they want without asking. It's like I, I like you have a feeling. I know this is gonna work. Like you have that. Like I know that if this is done right, they're gonna respond to it because I've been in this industry long enough. Sure. Even if nothing like this has been done, I can tell it's it's going to work. Yeah, and I think you know again when you're talking to consumers, knowing their background, not just asking questions, but you know knowing what it is they buy, what they go after. Are they you know making this very personal? Right. It is a luxury product after yeah. all whether you're paying two dollars you're paying twenty dollars it is a luxury product people don't need cigars right. they want cigars and so if it's somebody who you know they they like deal shopping they like feeling that they got the win they like feeling like mm -hmm. they they found something we didn't mean to do right yeah you know, they're that's great and we want to create opportunities for them if it's somebody who you know they're working at a big finance company they're trying to impress their friends they don't care about what the cigar tastes like it just needs to be the most expensive cigar yeah. they can find we want to make sure that we have the products from our vendors to carry that but yeah it's going to sell less and so personalizing that to each of our customers is important as we move forward those were i, I those were the whales when i when i worked in in retail oh, yeah. because usually you know, this was obviously the internet was around, but like people, people were just starting to get informed. So now if some guy like wants to get into cigars or wants to buy cigars as a gift, they'll do some form of research online sure. before. But I was at that, that last time in history where a rich, I don't know anything about cigars. I want to get something for my father-in-law, yeah. you know, around $500. And I was just like, oh. I'll take care of you. <laughs> like right. they weren't, they weren't, there wasn't a lot of them, but they were there when they would come through. But usually it was, and you try to give people, you know, not necessarily budget, but like mid to, I was, you know, Rome, I always went Romeo was kind of always one of my yeah. recommendations. It was always a, a, a steady recommendation, but I want to talk a little bit of, and we had kind of alluded to some of the things, um, you know, challenges and what have you for the industry already, but 2024, I mean, it's going to be an interesting year. I mean, the FDA, mm -hmm ruling going away permanently we don't know yet they appealed it but yeah. as of now it looks like we're kind of in, in i don't want to say in the clear but it's well, judgment basically said hey go back to the drawing board yeah. this wasn't done right and i think as an industry we knew that from you know when this started on may 7th of, of 2016 we said you know this isn't done right you basically as an, a government organization said Cigarettes and cigars are the same thing, and they're not. And yeah. being in the industry, we know that. I think our consumers know that. Um, and there's been a lot, of, I mean, a lot of time, effort, and money spent to get there. Um, there's a lot of opinions about the appeal and why it was done. It was done, you know, just before what, what everybody thought was going to be a government shutdown. Right. Um, there wasn't a stay of execution. So judgment is ruling and throwing it out. We've been able to go through and unwind some stuff, right? which is weird because you would think if it was being appealed, they'd try to get a state of execution. Right. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of questions and concerns around flavors and what is a flavor. And that's, that continues to come to a head. Right. Um, you know, again, looping in cigarettes with cigars, with small cigars, with different things. And um, I think that's going to continue to cause concerns and issues. Um, for a lot of people, their start in cigars is not on a, you know, premium. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they're picking up something with a sweet tip or something with an infusion or something with a flavor right. to it. Um, you know, and then gradually for some of them going in, into, into non, non-flavored cigars. Um, you know, there's definitely an issue we're, we're going to have in 2024 and 2025, uh, maybe longer around tobacco and the ability to source it. Um, 
and, and you know, we have this inflationary feel for everybody. Uh, I, you know, as a, uh, as somebody who, you know, is an economist at heart, I've got a lot of opinions there, but I, I, this isn't, you know, time or place for that. But th I think people are feeling things differently. Um, people are getting squeezed and it, it's yeah, you're telling me, it, yeah, I mean, <laughs> all you have to do is walk out to the, the store here in Whippany and, you know, you talk to the customers and, and it's very obvious they're, they're feeling it. And, and I think as tobacco gets more scarce as, you know, boxes and bands and all of that becomes, you know, for why we couldn't get paper to make bands for cigars. Right. right. I think all of that inflationary tendencies is going to continue to put stress on our industry. We're going to have to be more creative. We're going to have to find ways to utilize different tobaccos. And I think, you know, those government regulation and, you know, just the, the products we're making uh, and what goes into them and the, the, not just the cost, but the scarcity right now um, is going to play a lot into 2024. Yeah. I also think there's a lot of timing issues in 2024. You know, the movement of PCA from yeah, the summer up my, to my March. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I, uh, for, for my time in the industry, I've always said, well, taking people out to Vegas or New Orleans or anywhere else in the dead of summer in the busiest time for yeah, a retailer July 4th weekend sometimes is, is, is just silly. Yeah. Right. But I think the, the movement up, you know, when we talk about developing a product and most of our vendors do, you mentioned earlier, we don't just throw stuff on the wall anymore. Right. And there was a long period where we just, anything that launched, somebody would buy. Yeah. Um, now there's, I think a lot more thought going into everything. Um, and I think that development time is, you know, 12, 18 months, 24 months. So when you bump up four months into the, the launch yeah. schedule, a lot of stuff's not going to be ready. And you're coming off of what I think, you know, I don't know how many people pay a lot of attention to the factories, but all of the factories for the most part closed for weeks at Christmas yeah. in all of Nicaragua, Honduras and the Dominican Republic. It's a three, four, sometimes more week long shutdown. And so we're coming off of shutdown. It takes time to train those people who necessarily may not come back right. to do that factory work after, after the holidays, you know, get the product in, get the bands printed. It's just a tough time of year. So I think people are going to announce stuff, but we're, we're going to have an even longer period than we normally do of people not which delivering I think is, it. Which I think is good because, you know, this was a, in terms of releases and, you know, and people saw, we talked about it with our top 25. This is one of the best release years I've seen since really the, the, the ruling came down back in 2016, just because I feel like people are a lot more free to release things. You sure. know, there was kind of that rush 2016, 2017, like all the grandfather stuff, let's get it out there. Let's just start registering names as quickly yeah. as we can. <laughs> Let's um, launch 200 brands in yeah, 60 days. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that I think it's going to be good overall because I think some people might have held back some stuff because they, they announced that it was going to be in March, I think, before PCA, like this past PCA. It was before this past PCA. So I think yeah. there were some people who were like, all right, well, we have three new things coming out. Why don't we do two for this PCA? And then we'll have at least one for March. But also, because we just had so many great releases, maybe give people that extra, you know, however many months to like let these brands fly i mean if someone like foundation if he's coming out with something new in march which i don't think nick would do but i'm like dude you just came out with four things six Deliv months ago that delivered like, in november and december yeah like right. like and i think that there are a lot of people who are smart enough to know like maybe we'll announce something that's coming out in the summer or focus on our on our core brands for now but there's always going to be guys there's, that they're just going to be releasing stuff because it's a time to release stuff. Well, it's interesting because as an industry, you know, we some in the last 10 years that I've been in the industry, I've watched a shift and it started happening before I joined from people smoking, you know, tried and true brands to people only smoking what's new. And I fall into this a lot with cigars. I fall into it a ton with bourbon. Right. And Scars and bourbon are very similar. You can, you want to start a, a bourbon line, you know, you go to a Jack Daniels or a MGP or somebody else and say, Hey, I want, you know, I want to release 500 cases of this right. and they'll sell you the, the juice to do it. And you can do the same with cigars. You, you call the manufacturer and you say, Hey, I, I'd like to do 500 boxes. I'm going to launch a cigar brand. And during the kind of crackdown of the FDA, all of that stopped. Right. Um, uh, but now it's to your point, it's back. And, and I think 
Um, at some point, uh, we've got to remember there are some great brands that have been out here for a long time and maybe not our grandfather cigars, you know, whatever, but there are some brands that came out in 2015, 2014 that are great brands. They're great blends. They're, they're tried and true, but they don't get to the attention because they're not new. So I've talked about this at, uh, at length with a lot of manufacturers, John, uh, Christian, I talked about it a lot with him where it's, you know, Who's responsible for this? Was it manufacturers or was it consumers? It's definitely like a little bit of both because so. consumers started with these limited editions, yearly things, which I think got the newer generation of cigar smokers kind of hooked on that that type of release. And so yeah. now it's like the only thing and they have to keep satiating. It's like the the trouble mm. we're we're running into, not actually we're we're succeeding at it, but like the you know, we've gotten our, our customers so hooked on deals, deals, deals. Right. If we stop doing that, how what's going to happen? Now we're happening. We send them to into see, withdrawal. Like, yeah, like well, we're we're seeing some some good results of that. Like right. we're actually it's actually working out pretty well. But for the manufacturer, like you know, somebody like Crown Heads, somebody like Viaje, Tatuaje, you know, yeah. what's what's Pete's big thing is like if he doesn't release a monster this year, how different does his bottom line look? If he's just like, oh, this year we're going to focus on Miami and. Koyonu, yeah. it's it's tough. But I do think if you look at, uh, I think that's starting to change a little bit across the board. Yeah. I agree with you. I think it's a bit of each. I do. I think as some of the companies started acquiring others, and people said, "I'm not ready to leave. I right. want to come back in." And you know, Christian's one, John's one. You know, certainly there's there's a number of them. Steve, yeah. Nick, that 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 newness was what people were looking for and that, you know, younger demographics certainly exploded during the COVID period, right? We, you know, our average age of consumers that were new consumers during that period weren't just slightly younger than, than everybody's normal consumer. They were a decade plus younger. And, and so it's that same group that's, you know, used to going craft brewery and buying a four pack at 10 different breweries. And that's, you know, they don't just buy shoes. It's gotta be like the newest Jordans with the limited, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. And so I think there's certainly as a it's a greater consumer base that's being driven. We're driving it a little bit. You know, I think if you look at somebody like Romacraft this year, you know, they they've had some issues getting Broadleaf. Yeah. And they they released uh, at PCA the the new cigar with made by EPC at a new factory. Skip went there, blended it, worked I with I think it's Ernie. the Quattrogenero. I mean, I'm going to butcher that name. Yeah, I wasn't even going to try. So yeah, I give I you think credit it was for that. Quattrogenero, something like that. <laughs> But, you know, one of the things that I've talked a lot with Mike Rosales about is the fact that, you know, their focus this year has really been on their core. Right. And the stuff that that was tried and true and that people, you know, knew Romacraft for. And I think if, if you know, Christian's doing it and, and you look at Drew Estate, you're getting rid of 100 SKUs a year and a half ago. Yeah. And, you know, I think companies are figuring out that you can't maintain – the cigars, the inventory, the NTMs, non-tobacco materials, bands, boxes for thousands and thousands of SKUs. You actually do need to rationalize. And, you know, our parent com- uh, our parent company has been big about rationalization. It's led to us rationaliz- rational- rationalizing brands. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and, and I think Altidus is doing the same thing. When I talk to, you know, the team over there, they're going through and saying, hey, this brand's great, but this size isn't working. And, you know, shrinking that portfolio, uh, you know, retailers only have so much space on the shelf. Consumers only have so much space in their humidors. And so we've, you know, rather than making a lot of things okay, we, we're kind of shifting, hopefully, as an industry to making a smaller number of things really, really well. Right. And listen, I'm okay with, like, the the consumer in me gets disappointed when, you know, I, I go to a PCA or I'm reading halfway and I, I don't see a new release from Nick or, or Steve. But the industry worker in me is like, good, like, we, we take your time to focus. And this is something that John has also mentioned. He's like, I, I wish I didn't have to do so many LEs. Like, I love, right. I would love for my team to be able to focus on the core lines sure. as they should be. Because don't forget, I mean, that was the entire industry for like all of history until about 15 <laughs> right. years ago or so. Um, and, and it's one of those double-edged swords that like, you know, I want to say Pete really led the way in that sure. along with, you know, like Fuente, I, I guess Opus would be considered the the 
father of that to a degree. Yeah, but I mean, you, you look at Fuente as a great example of taking tried and true and just continuing to make great cigars, yeah. right? And I think, you know, you, you look at, yeah, they released, you know, um, uh, pink yeah and they have they have their 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 crazy you and, know and the the 20 year blue label but the the overall portfolio is very steady and very yeah. constant and very uh very clean um i don't think they've released a core line since the uh god what the heck was it the cuba the casa that? cuba casa cuba i think that was their last like Core, core yeah, and that was a cigar that they you know made and enjoyed the factory and yeah. kind of came to the forefront. You know, again, you look at the big guys. You know, Altidus is doing it. Drew Estate did it. Davidoff did it. You you you, you kind of have to rationalize this point, yeah. and and that's driven by a lot of things. Tobacco availability is certainly one of them, and. You know, I think as the consumers become pickier and the consumers become more in tune with what they want. Um, but we're going to see some interesting things, you know, uh, Skip and, and Roma Craft and Mike are coming out with a Pennsylvania Broadleaf version of Cro-Mag. Yeah. Um, you know, Pennsylvania Broadleaf is is a different flavor profile than than uh, Connecticut Broadleaf. And, and they're not hiding the fact that it's going to be a different yeah, blend. They've been, they've and, been talking about a lot um, of social. You know, so I think that's that's something unique, but it builds off that core line, builds off that that brand capital they have. And. You know, I, I think that's that's where we're going to see, uh, you know, a lot of these things. There's there's only so much, so many different types of cigar, uh, tobacco and right. places to grow it. Uh, eventually, we're all using the same product. Exactly. Well, that's why I appreciate somebody like uh, Aganorsa, where, you know, they kind of um, use the, like, the Guardian of the Farm line is kind of like their, I don't want to say experimental, but, like, it's always a new tobacco variety that, yeah. I don't know if they necessarily developed it, but you don't see a lot of it. Like, you know, Corojo, Maduro, 2012, you know. Yeah, like Shade-grown Maduro. Shade-grown Maduro, those yeah. yeah. You know, I think uh, creativity and all that stuff is incredibly important to, uh, and I sound like broken but pushed again by the lack of tobaccos, I think, in some cases. Yeah. You know, I, I like a lot what, what Agonors has done and, you know, Terrence and, and the way he's, you know, they went out and, and did this, you know, consumer and retailer survey to figure out who they were and what they wanted to be and, you know, take all these different brands and bring them in together. And, um, you know, I think they've done a really good job over the last, you know, five years or so of, of changing that organization. I think the average consumer, and I think even a lot of people in our industry don't realize there are only a few growers of tobacco and everybody's using it, right? So Aganorsa Leaf is used in all sorts of different uh, brands at different factories. Nestor's is, AJ's is, Oliva Tobacco Company, not to be confused with Oliva, Oliva Cigar Cigars, Company. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, th I think <clears throat> those, those ways to be creative and, and test things um, allow you to, you know, some consumers probably get upset and they say, hey, I really like the cigar and you only made 500 boxes. But it's it's a little like, you know, doing a six-part pilot for your first TV show, right? right. You know, I, it drives me nuts that I find something on, you know, one of these streaming services and I get six episodes in and they're like, you know, next season. And I'm like, what happened? Yeah. But on the same token, if they made back when they were making 20, 21 episodes of every single show, if if they sucked, they sucked. And you had to, like, painfully get yeah. through it. Um, so, you know, double-edged sword, I think to your point is getting, is right. getting hooked on, like finding, they don't really make them that much anymore, but finding like, like when I was kind of, you know, in my college days, like finding a West wing or, or a show where it's like seven seasons at 20 episodes, like this is great. Cause now yeah. you, you, you binge watch all of the Witcher in a, in like a day, <laughs> in, a day and a half. In, in a day and a half. Yeah, West Wing going as as hard as I can. It it takes me at least two weeks. What's interesting with West Wing, and it's totally off uh, topic, I guess, but I, I think it's appropriate. You know, we're both obviously very big West Wing fans, Aaron Sorkin fans. You know, that was a seven year swing, and then they got to the end, and Aaron Sorkin created a show called Studio Sixty yeah, on the Sunset, Sunset Strip, and it only got one one season. And just in the time of those seven years of West Wing, the industry changed. Um, and it's a lot faster now than yes. it was back then. Very similar to cigars. I mean, that same time period, you, you know, West Wing is 90s and early aughts. And we were coming out of the, the big cigar boom of the 90s. And, you know, people throwing 
whatever tobacco they could find yeah. in a cigar the and Don selling Nobody's. it for what, yeah, whatever they wanted. And even the, you know, the big companies we think of today that are, you know, very premium, the Fuentes of the world, the Patrons of the world, the cigars they're selling today weren't the cigars they were selling in the 90s right. and aughts. And so, you know, industries do have to change. They have to grow. They have to be creative. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited about what we're doing here. I'm excited about the team we have and um, excited for what's coming down the pipeline. If there's one, I don't want to say brands, but company manuf- slash manufacturer that you're really excited for in 2024, whether it be you, you know they have something cooking or just you're, you're excited to see you know, what, they're, what they're bringing to the table for next year, who do you think that is? So it sounds really cliche. Um, and and for, for the person watching in the audience, I, I didn't get any of these questions ahead of time. Mm. So this is, and Nick promised me there wasn't going to be anything on the spot. And no, I feel we, totally we weren't an honest show here. <laughs> but I told you it was going to be hard hitting <clears throat> questions. You, you did, you did. Right. I, I, I really um, am very excited for what we're launching next year. Um, and I know that sounds like I'm you know, paid to say that it's really not, um, but we are, but we are, we are, <laughs> we are. but, but there are some really cool, innovative projects coming down the pipeline that are outside of what kind of the e-commerce industry has done right. for cigars for us, working with some great factories, some great brands outside of cigars. Um, and, uh, I, I really am excited for that. Um, uh, probably more than anything else. And, um, well, there's a few, a few of your passion projects that you were able to. Yeah. So there's some stuff I've been kind of, you know, going back and forth with for years that I, I just, uh, didn't have the right timing for, right. uh, that have really come into fruition here. Um, you know, an organization that's been really great at, at, at giving me the opportunity to, to, to do things different, right. you know, and, and, um, so, so there, I think some great things that the project you were alluding to earlier that you've teased that, yeah, Brad and I came in and we tweaked a couple of things design wise, but the, the core of it's still very much what you guys came up with. But that's a, that's a project that I think has, you know, years of great releases ahead of it and, and very, very just, um, gorgeous packaging, great blends, celebrating kind of everything that this is about. Um, but yeah, some sp- fun, special projects. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what's launched at PCA. Um, I, I, I know of some stuff coming out. Uh, I don't want to share it cause yeah. it's sworn secrecy. Um, and if I tell you the factory, you'll figure it out. But, um, but I, I do think, uh, you know, from, from the things I can share publicly, I'm really excited about what we're doing. I mean, this is some really fun, unique stuff that's going to make people go, Oh, wow. Um, and that's, that's kind of fun. It's not just rebranding something else and slapping a different band on an existing blend. No, I mean, we, we, we have, you know, some, some brands that we're taking that the, the brand is great, but the cigar is not great, and we're going to tweak that. We have others right. where the cigar is phenomenal, but the branding is... But then we have a lot of what we're doing is building stuff up from, from nothing, like to- yeah. totally creating it. And from, a from, variety, from base concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. variety of, of price points, too. You know, when you, people think that, like, oh, our, what are our exclusives? J. Alternatives, Mother Church, Pure Origin. I don't think they, they realize how many bundles or oh, you know yeah. everything you know bone shaker uncharted I mean, witch doctor literally hundreds of brands hundreds of brands and i'm excited that it's we got rid of those because either they weren't up to par or the kind of the industry moved past them and i get to fix that and yeah, i'm yeah, very to, i'm very excited to you, do that you get to be part of creating what the next iteration of this is yeah and, and i think you know uh it's it's exciting to be part of that um you know, it's exciting to work with new factories. It's exciting to, we, we have great partners, obviously in the factories, we have great design partners. We have great team here. You know, I, I think, um, even when I was, you know, back as a consumer for the five years I was consumer before I was, was in the industry. Um, I I think I, I, I really had very little understanding and concept of just how many people it takes to do this. And you talked earlier on the podcast at the very beginning about the number of people that go into making this cigar and we, we throw around 300 hands, yeah, but like, it, it is when you look at everything from printing the band to planting that first seed in the greenhouse to, you know, putting the plants in the ground, to growing them, to fermenting them, to, to aging them, to, to sorting the tobacco, all of that. 
um, down to the people who, you know, put it in the boxes to ship it up from those countries. There, this, this is a hands-on project that, that has life to it and has its own kind of thing. And we get to create new life. It's kind of fun. I mean, and we can, we can kind of end with that, but, uh, it's what you just said is why I never say that a cigar is bad. It might not, it might not be in my wheelhouse, but the amount of time and effort it takes to make just about every cigar, even, even cheaper ones to, you know, a La Vareda to say like, Oh, this is garbage. It's like, it's the, um, the uh, passion it took to make that product, the hard work, the understanding of, science and agriculture and marketing and logistics to sure. just to get it to our shelves, to have somebody put a review up of oh, this stunk. It's like uh, d- d- when you have a better understanding, you have a better appreciation for the product as a whole. So there's things that aren't in my wheelhouse. There's things where, sure. you know, not my preferred uh, profile, but every cigar has a story and, and it's, it takes a lot of people to tell that story. It, it does. And, and I think even the impact it has on the economy of these areas, I mean, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, where we grow broadleaf, down down to, you know, Ecuador and and um, Honduras and all of that, and, and yeah, it's a cigar may not be your cup of tea, but it may be somebody else's, yeah. you know, every day, and so it's hard. I think we don't make, as an industry, bad cigars. Um, we make different cigars, yeah. and we try to hit every consumer with a product that they can afford and they can enjoy. But it doesn't mean that every product is going to be right for every consumer. Exactly. It's the same thing with movies and TV. Like, yeah. there's some really weird one-off movies that I like, and I'm like, this would uh, this would make zero money if it was like you know when it was released in theaters. <laughs> but it is my favorite. Big Trouble in Little China, for example, is my sure. favorite movie of all time. Barely, I think it made like a hundred grand in theaters when it came out. Oh, look but, at Seinfeld, right? Yes. Yeah. And nobody liked Seinfeld when it first came out. West Wing took a while for people to get. You know, I, I think it's similar with spirits, similar with wines. You know, I have people, friends who wouldn't drink wine out of a bottle if you paid them to do it. Right. They want a sweet wine that came out of a box that that's their thing. Great. And then I have family members that, you know, go to Napa every year and that's yeah. what they want to do. And uh, same with bourbons and, and everything else. So there's an, there's an avenue for everybody. Everybody. There yeah. There and that's why one of the things I preach about the industry. Jim, thank you so much. I hope to have you on more. This yeah, was this was this me. was a lot of fun. It's it's interesting to get your perspective. You know, we've been in the industry a similar amount of time, but you've been doing it at a much higher level. So I'm I'm very grateful to be able to learn from you. And I Just think that our, a, a different different uh, different responsibilities. I wouldn't say almost. Uh, you don't want to put me in a retail store, and so you know for those that people, would be fun. We should do like an undercover boss yeah. kind of thing where you have to go deal with customers <laughs> for four years. You don't want me to deal with yeah. customers, but I think you know to say that you know. Uh, yeah, I've done different things. I've had different responsibilities than you have, but I give a lot of credit to the people who are busting every day in those brick and mortars in our call center, dealing with customers. It's it's a skill set that I, I don't have. Um, patience is not a virtue I was born with, and so well, then you got the right um, guy on your team. There you go. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna yeah. need a lot of patience. So. Uh, but, uh, but no, I appreciate it. Thanks for having no, of me. Of course. And, and uh, guys, thank you very much for listening. Make sure to comment, like, and subscribe. Find us on YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and TikTok. And as always, keep it lit.